Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, fellow travelers, I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I wrote Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists. There's an old real estate adage that goes, location, location, location. This week, we'll talk about how that applies in a marriage. We both were very close to our families, but we kind of thought we would figure this out later. It's helped me realize so much that where you are located matters for future planning. Listen in and maybe learn something about yourself in the process. Hey, just a note before we start. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice, and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and or clarity. Hi, Lori. Hey, Guy. So what do we have in our box this week? We actually have a letter from a couple. Ooh. Yes, I know, right? Here's how it goes. Dear Lori and Guy, My wife and I have had 10 years of a mostly happy marriage and have two wonderful boys, ages 7 and 4. We met in the Washington, D.C. area, away from our families, mine in Nebraska, hers on Long Island. Five years ago, her father received a terminal cancer diagnosis, so in early 2017, we decided to move to Long Island to be with him. We had nine good months with him before he succumbed to cancer on January 1, 2018. After the sad year of firsts, we discussed where to buy a home. I preferred Omaha, where my parents live, along with my three sisters and their five children. Our kids genuinely love their cousins and have so much fun with them. My wife wanted to live near her mother and has no desire to live in the Midwest. I shared her concern for her mother, but I'm not okay making our family's decision solely for her mother's benefit. After two rounds of marriage counseling, we decided last summer that I would look for a location-oriented job, which I ultimately found in Omaha. Unhappily, she agreed to move to Omaha for a couple of years. We agreed to check in every year and after two or three years, determine where we should settle in and raise our kids. A big part of the agreement was that her job would take her back to New York regularly and we would take other trips there as well. But COVID-19 has wrecked that plan. Now, whenever we talk about big picture geography decisions, we end up in serious arguments and make no progress. How can we figure out where to live long-term without it being a win-lose situation? That is a tough one. 
because what they want from us is a solution. They want us to arbitrate and tell them what to do. And I think in these situations, when couples come in, what we can do is help them learn to talk about this differently and how it ends up being in this you win, I lose, or I win, you lose kind of situation for them. Yeah, I think, all right, two rounds of couples therapy. Good. I'm always good with that. But what did they get out of it? Was it really focused entirely on this dilemma? Did they learn anything from the couples therapy? Maybe there are other issues there. The thing about couples therapy is that so many times somebody feels like they're getting the therapist on their side. So did somebody feel like, okay, the therapist took my side and now this isn't working, so we're going to go to another therapist. The other thing that you mentioned was, is there something else that this argument is standing in for? So sometimes a couple comes in and there's some kind of problem that they're coming in with. But as therapists, we listen for the music under the lyrics. The lyrics are, we have this geographic problem. We, we are stuck and we can't get out of it. But is there something else in the marriage that they aren't talking about? And sometimes when you deal with an issue for a long time, and meanwhile they've had kids and all these things have happened, so sometimes you just get entrenched in your old position and you haven't adapted it for new realities or for new evolution of dynamics between the two people. Like, what should have changed a little bit? But I think that they're looking at this through a lens that doesn't work for this kind of problem, where they feel like the way that we compromise is like everything is 50-50. We do half of this for you, we'll live here for me, and then we'll go for these years and live here for you. But sometimes 50-50 doesn't mean that you literally split that one issue down the middle. And so what other areas in their marriage, if any, do they feel that there's a disequilibrium? And how have they handled that? Right. The other question is, for whom are they making this decision? Is it for each of them? Is it what's best for the kids? We know that she's considering her mother and what would be best for her. He's considering his family as well. But in the ranking there, whose priorities, whose needs are central to them? Yeah. Do you know that exercise, the paper exercise, where you give a couple a piece of paper and they hold it between them, and they have to decide who's going to get to keep the paper, basically. And so the paper represents something that each person, respectively, really wants. It tells you a lot about how they relate to each other, unrelated to the specific issue at hand. I always look around for props when I'm doing couples work. Sometimes I'll grab an eraser and I'll pass it to the person so they can erase something they said if they feel it was the wrong thing to say in the first go-around. In other words, <laughs> in couples therapy, props are great. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. 
And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dear Therapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Dear Therapists. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Dear Therapists. Thanks for listening. Should we go talk to them? Yes, let's do that. Well, hi, guys. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome. And I guess my first question is, you mentioned that you've had two rounds of couples therapy. Could you tell us just a little bit about those rounds and what you got out of them? Yeah, so um, they were both in New York when we were working through this, and they were focused on this issue of geography. And we talked through a lot of different things and honestly didn't get anywhere. (laughs) Well, I don't know. The first time we went was just six months after my dad passed away. And that therapist, after about four or five sessions, said, you need to stop coming here because you shouldn't make any major life decisions within a first year of a major loss. So we stopped and then we picked it up again. So I think it gave us time to breathe, which was really helpful. So in that time when you had the time to breathe, was that kind of looming between the two of you or were you able to put it aside knowing that you would come back to it? It was day by day (laughs) or week by week. I mean, it varied because we had, you know, things would come up. uh, People would say to us, oh, we wish you would just move back to DC. This house came up for sale, just come back. Or one of his sisters would send us a house for sale in Omaha and we'd be like, God damn it. So it was always kind of there. And and also, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we were good, no problem, happy activities. But so much of life is looking towards the future, especially with young kids. Yeah, it makes it really hard to plan. That's, oh, our our kids will go through elementary school together. That's a five or six-year commitment. Oh, here's where you'd go. Uh, What about if we plan this for next summer? Where would we drive or fly from, right? I mean, it helped me realize so much that where you are located matters for future planning. And so when you first got married, you moved to D.C., right? Mm-hmm. We were in D.C. when we met. Right. Okay. Engaged, and that. so did you imagine that that would be your community and that's where you would put down roots when you got married? Not really. D.C. is so transient. 
if you if you know people who live there, most people aren't from there. I think because of politics and the hill, we had so many friends who struggled with the exact same thing. And we both were very close to our families, but we kind of thought we would figure this out later. Yeah. So be- before you got married, you never explicitly had a conversation about the fact that A, you would probably leave D.C. and B, where that might be or what that might look like. We talked about it a bit. I think I said many times I never want to live in Omaha ever. And I said I'd never want to live in New York. <laughs> and then okay, you got married. So we clear. <laughs> and we did both. Um, and, you know, I mean, it was also in the early dating phase. It was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And. In our early to mid-20s, it felt so far away. And it was like, well, we're just going to live through this year. And that 10 years from now, whatever, we'll figure it out at that point. Yeah. So let me ask you something. You've, it sounds like you've had this discussion innumerable times. So what happens these days? What does that discussion even look like? I think it changed a little bit with... I've always had a job that I could take anywhere with me. And... Ryan was suddenly unhappy in his job. And it was a bit more the ball was in his court. And that kind of changed things, I would say, when it felt like this isn't just where we want to live. This is also career driven, too. Yeah. So how did it come about that you got this job in Omaha where you are now? Was that a negotiated thing? My role was becoming less valuable, less fulfilling. Uh, and so I was starting to look uh, and we said, OK, how about if you look for jobs and maybe that'll help push us one way or another. So I looked for four months um, and applied for jobs in New York and in Omaha and eventually got this offer. And was that a result of the conversations in your second round of couples therapy? So the first round of couples therapy the therapist said, you're still grieving. It might not be a good time to make a big life decision. Second round, what did those conversations look like? One of you is going to have to make the sacrifice and have to figure out how to not resent the other person. She was kind of, this is really hard. Yep. One, yep. There's no compelling event here. She didn't give us a lot of hope. Now, Beth, when I asked earlier about whether the job in Omaha was a result of a negotiation or sorts, Ryan kind of mm-hmmed and you kind of didn't. You know, your face was like, ah, not really. So can you actually tell me what was behind that facial response of yours? We said that it would be great to have a compelling event. We have different opinions about this, but I think I'm right. Uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the vigor, the effort he put into searching for jobs in the two locations was not the same. And it was, I think you were checking boxes for the East Coast, but you were much more proactive for Omaha because that's what you wanted. And that kind of, I felt like when the decision came, when like you flew out for the interview and then you got the offer, my take on it at the time was, I was kind of forced into a position. We did not communicate well about this at all. No, we were we garbage at communicating this. Like, And people have asked us, how did you make this decision? And we said, we could tell you how not to make this decision. <laughs> so, yeah, he got the offer. He was excited. I didn't know how to say no. Yeah, here we are. It, it sounds so much like you want someone or some external event to make this decision for you instead of working through this as a couple 
And that's what makes it hard. It's almost like you knew that there was this difference before you got married. Mm -hmm. Maybe an equivalent would be a couple who one person says they don't think they want kids. The other person says they think they do want kids, but oh, we'll work it out later. We love each other and we'll figure it out. We're in our early 20s and we'll deal with it later. And neither of us had interest in moving back at the time. We were like, we just left home. Like, this is fun. We're doing all sorts of fun things, playing softball on the National Mall. This is an awesome time. Right. And, And so what happens is these things, they're in the background. It's in the air. You can't take it away because it is a big life event, whether it's having a baby or where you're going to live. And so I I think that when you feel frustrated that there's no person out there who's going to help you arbitrate this or that there's no event that's going to say, okay, we had to move here because clearly it was the only choice. What you're left with is the really hard work of saying, we are going to have to work through a fundamental difference between us as a couple and it's not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yes. I would say we we tried that and, and attempted that for a long while. But we would talk about principles. We would talk about what's most important for us. And it often came back to having family around. With our kids growing up, we wanted them to be around their grandparents. We wanted them to be around other family members. And so we agreed on that. It just... We differed on which set. (laughs) So how long was that second couples therapy? Couple of months, two, three months. Yeah. Yeah. Two, three months. Can I ask you each to maybe mention, if you can, tell me if you can't, one thing you learned from the other person about their feelings or needs about this as a result of those few months of discussion? This is where I play the Jeopardy theme song. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like forever ago. I don't know if it was the first or the second or what, but the level of importance that she, and I would say each of us, put on being near family after the first eight years of our relationship, we had no family around. Um, And the fact that all of a sudden that was like, a number one primary desire was a little bit surprising, I guess. So that would probably be my take. I think I learned how much you really didn't want to live in New York. I think I thought you were trying to like it and like the people and like everything, but you were really just over it and wanted to get out of there. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> when, when you guys have had other disagreements that are fundamental in this way, but where the stakes aren't as high. How do you tend to negotiate them? We haven't had too many things. Like we're pretty dominated our lives for the last few years. Everything else is a breeze. Uh, Right. So when, when you say that that's dominated your lives, couples have disagreements all the time, right? And there are quite a few, by the way, in, in even very strong marriages. And so when something dominates the air in the marriage like this has. Sometimes it means that there are other things that maybe Hmm. you're not talking about because sometimes people are afraid to disagree on maybe the more tender things. Yeah. When we were in New York and we would come upon disagreements, I would find that Beth was a lot more accommodating to what I wanted. I think that since we have moved here, I have tried to be far more 
willing to accommodate and to meet Beth at where she wants to be. If we have a conflict, say, look, I right now I got the big one. And so I will be super accommodating and help her out to feel better and to go with what she wants. To make her feel better or to alleviate your guilt? Probably this latter. Yeah. But hopefully also the first. Beth, do you, do you agree that he's been flexible in that way, that those efforts are clear and noted to you? I think we've gotten there in a couple of things. I think most recently the whole plan for the summer, it took longer for you to get there than I wanted you to. But I think it was disheartening at first that it took you longer to kind of be supportive of what we needed to do to make this summer happen. Ryan, what is it like for you when you know that you've disappointed Beth? I mean, it sucks. <laughs> Doesn't feel good. God, I try every day to to not disappoint her. Uh, I try and find small ways to uh, exceed her expectations. This is all even harder in the midst of a pandemic where you kind of just stay home all the time. Making friends in a new place, for example. But, but let me just interrupt for a second. I sure. want to because I, I want to go back to the question. I want to help you stay on it, which is, what does it actually feel like? What what happens inside of you? when you disappoint Beth? Uh, I feel guilty and I feel inadequate and I need to find a way to make things better and help her feel better. So it, it's hard to tolerate her disappointment. Yep. Yeah. What about you, Beth? What is it like for you when you disappoint Ryan? Anxious, like I'm not living up to my part in this marriage. Like I screwed up. I need to fix this. I want to fix this. How can I fix this? The thing that strikes me is that between your time in New York and now you've had some time in Omaha, then you have each had the experience of living where the other one wants to live, having to compromise and seeing that the other person is trying to be as flexible as possible to kind of equal things out in a way, how much does that make you more optimistic, or not, that you will be able to make the marriage work with this issue, which is the same issue that you've just trained for? <laughs> I think the, the potential breaking point was a year ago. And I didn't know how we would get through that. But ultimately, she agreed to keep our family together, agreed to move, and showed me a depth of love that I feel grateful for. We've committed to being here for a couple of years, and then we'll figure it out. <laughs> Sound familiar? So I feel confident about working through this in the future. And Beth? Yeah, I agree. I went to counseling for myself up between August and when we moved, right? November. Right. And that helped me work through a lot in terms of uh, getting to acceptance of everything and having a person I could talk to. Because you can imagine we have very few people we can talk to about this because people have very strong opinions and sides. <laughs> this is not something I could talk about with my family. So I... I like how you framed that. Like, I, I am no longer worried about the longevity of our marriage as I was six months to a year ago. 
That's true. It's great that you guys feel so committed, even in the face of some kind of life disagreement like this. I was wondering if you guys would try a little exercise for us. Can you get a blank piece of paper? Here's what we're going to ask you to do. The paper represents for each of you, not this issue, nothing to do with geography, represents something that is very important to you. Don't tell the other person what that thing is that matters so much to you. And then I want you each to take one side of the paper. Like, so one of you put one hand on one side of the paper, the other, like hold it. Oh. Yeah, hold the paper. There you go. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Okay. Now you have 60 seconds to negotiate who gets to keep the paper. Okay. So it represents something that matters very much to each of you. It's a different thing for each of you. And you have 60 seconds to negotiate who gets to keep the paper. Well, right now there's no movement on the paper whatsoever. It's very typical. There's a lot of discussion, but the paper's not moving. Well, we'll see. Sometimes what happens is nothing happens, and then they realize they have 10 seconds left, and then somebody just says, okay, you have it. <laughs> now it's about a minute and 10 seconds. It has been. And they're still talking. Let's give them just a few more seconds. I just want to hear what they're saying. My thing is fundamental to who I am in some ways. Like, it's about how I got to who I am today and represents my past, present, present, and future. Gotcha. Can you tell me something like that about... Uh, it's uh, something of how I want to live my life into the future. Probably get to giving it up. Okay. How about you? What if you had to give that up? I would be devastated. Yeah. So, what was it like for you guys to try to negotiate there? What did it feel like when you had that paper between you? It was important for me to hear why this thing mattered to him. But he also kind of gave an example of why, at the end of the day, he could give up this thing. Like, you kind mm -hmm. of offered it up, but also said, but I wouldn't be crushed if this I This is that. critically important to me, but I said, if there were other offsetting things, then I could probably end up. Because of her description, that it was inherent to her who she has been, is, and will be in the future. For you, Ryan, you ultimately said, this is important to me but I could give this up. And what Beth said was, I would be devastated to give this up. And I know this was all theoretical because it was a blank sheet of eight by 10 paper <laughs> and it was not where you're living. But it, it does, I think, get to something deeper that's going on, which if it translates at all, is that for Beth, not living near her mom and not having the kids have that grandparent relationship on some level, even if she's ultimately going to be okay in, in Omaha, there's a, a part of it that feels very devastating to her. And she's nodding and tearing up right now. <laughs> yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have really talked about it like that because you both try so hard to accommodate the other and really be careful with the other person. But I think sometimes it might be hard to really talk about what's going on at your core around this. 
And so when Beth said that, it was so moving in that moment. Uh, she said, this would be devastating for me. It would mean that you don't understand who I am. And Ryan, I wonder what that's like to hear that. Hearing her say, this is a core part of me and that it would be devastating to give it up. My reaction is, okay, how do we make sure that that happens? And how do we make sure that this is always true? Whatever this is, I am inclined to give up something that I find extremely important in my life to help us, Beth, feel comfortable with who she is and in our marriage. Can we now guess what the thing is? <laughs> well, I think, I think what's important is just to notice that you are really talking about this issue too. Couples always have competing needs in some way or another. And so this paper exercise is really about what do you do when you have competing needs and how do you talk about that with each other? When the paper is there, it's a lot easier to really talk about the deeper feelings because you're not so focused on Omaha, New York. And, and so I, I really would pay attention to what just mm -hmm. happened there. Not that it's not that that is going to give you your decision, because I know you guys really want to come to a decision. But what we can offer you is to understand how to have a conversation about that that's different from the 500 million other conversations that you've had about this over X number of years. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I also want to point out that you each basically started by naming the stakes. Brian, you said, well, this is really core for me. This is really important for me. So then, Beth, you said, well, no, this, this goes to the core of who I am, you know, to raise the stakes. So it's even more important for me. You, at that point, she had trumped you with, no, it's not just the core, it's the definition of who I am. The stakes seemed mm -hmm. higher. So you're like, okay, if the stakes are that high, I think it's probably a tendency you have in the geography discussion to talk about the stakes, to talk about, but this mm. is so important for me. This is mm -hmm. so, no, this is even more important. No, it's mm -hmm. so, so, mm -hmm. so important for me. And then if mm -hmm. you add enough so, so, so's before the important, you win. And the bottom line of it was that we've done this exercise with a lot of people. Usually the paper ends up in someone's hand. It did not. You were both holding on to it. In other words, the time ran out and it's, a metaphor also to what happens in geography decision that in your discussion you get so stalled on that that then life intervenes and makes the decision for you whether it's your dad getting sick whether it's you finding the job even if the efforts were lopsided and towards omaha whatever the thing is you get so locked into your stakes discussion that you don't get to make a decision and then one is made for you i think that's really fair yeah yeah yeah. And the thing about that is the more you kind of kick the can down the road, you guys are talking about this question of where are we going to raise our kids? This could go on so long that your kids are in college and they've already been raised. We've talked about that. <laughs> They're being raised right now. Yeah. At a certain point, none of you are going to have that sense of rootedness, that sense of community, yeah. that sense of yeah. these are our friends. This is our community. These are the people we raised our kids with. This was our home. If you keep doing this, it will feel like you're always in flux and that you don't really belong anywhere. Yep. Yeah. That resonates a lot. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And our kids have even said, our older son even said, well, mommy, when we move in two years. And it's like, 
the Ooh. next house we bought. The next house have. we live in, blah, blah, it's blah. It's like, oh my God, you're six. And that's not that. how we grew up. I, my mom still lives in the house I lived in since I was five. And you're so in the house stuff. that you were born in. So it's right. like the opposite so, of that. So yeah. going back to that having a baby metaphor, it's like when people can't decide, should we have a baby? Sometimes by not deciding, you're actually deciding. So not choosing something is an act of choosing. Hmm. Let's say we can't decide if we want to have a baby. Eventually the person gets too old and you can't have a baby. Mm-hmm. So you actually yeah. made a choice. It didn't just happen to you. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happening here a bit is that by not deciding, you're deciding. Here you are in Omaha. You can keep talking about it, but you're in Omaha. Yeah. yeah. The other aspect of that that's problematic is that this is not just kicking the can down the road. This is keeping a big fundamental disagreement hovering over you your entire time. And this is a real stressful thing for a couple to know that hovering over them is a huge contentious point of disagreement they have not been able to resolve yet and that it's looming and what you're saying is we're going to have that same quote-unquote breaking point you mentioned that happened last summer you're signing up for again next year or in a year and a half whenever that next decision gets made and part of my concern of where this is going with the two of you is that because the way you discuss it is by elevating the stakes, just like with the paper, it became from core issues to core identity. It was so big. Mm. It's a, that's the main problem of why you're having trouble resolving this. Right. The longer this goes on, the more backed into a corner each of you gets. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. make you come closer to each other. Mm-hmm. It makes you sort of back into your positions even more rigidly. So, you know, we're thinking about what we've learned about you today, and we have two-part advice for you to try. The first piece of advice is, I think that we've used the word resentful a lot, and I think that's probably come up in your private conversations as well. And what happens when we talk about resentment is that it comes from a place of anger and you against me. And I think what you're really feeling underneath her, we get to kind of the more tender feelings, is loss and grief. That if you were to live in the place that is not your ideal place, that you have some loss around what that life would be Mm -hmm. like for you and your kids if you had lived there. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it in terms of loss or grief, it tames the anger a bit. What is it like to lose this version of life even though you get a different version of life that could be equally good, but different. So the first part of the exercise is for each of you to write down, to just kind of journal free form separately about your loss and grief and everything that you feel like you would lose and not about the other person's making me do this. That's where resentment is. Grief is just for me personally, I would miss this. Okay. In this scenario, and we should each think about it in, in the with, scenario where we're living elsewhere, other than yes, where we live. Yes. Okay. Yes. So for, for you, Ryan, that would be if you were in New York. For Beth, that would be if you were in Omaha. Okay. Okay. And as you're doing it, sit with it. Let yourself feel whatever you're feeling. If you start to go into that resentful, angry place, go back to the sadness and the the loss. 
that's sometimes a harder place to sit. And it's so much easier to externalize and be angry at someone else out there or something else out there, but to go inside and say, oh, this hurts. I'm going to miss this. I'm losing this. I'm grieving this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the first part of the exercise. Yes. So here's the second part of the exercise. And it's informed of the fact that it seemed to me that some of the debate that you're having sounds too much like it did in D.C. before you had the experience of making the compromise, of being on the other person's turf, of seeing that it's survivable. So with that in mind, I'd like you to do the following. I want you to imagine yourself, each of you, in five years' time, living at the other person's geography. So you, Ryan, are living in uh, Long Island, and you, Beth, are living in Omaha. And I want you to write down what a happy day Mm. in your life looks like in that place. And I want you to really have a lot of detail in it. And I want you to truly imagine what's the happiest you could be there. Because I am sure you've had happy days in Omaha, Beth. I'm sure you had happy days in New York. Write a real description of a truly happy day in which it's not just about you, but what are the kids doing? What's the other person doing? Perhaps what are you doing with the families? And then when you're both done... I want you to read your description to the other person. Mm. Ryan, your happy day in Long Island in five years' time, and and Beth, your happy day in Omaha in five years' time. Okay. Okay. And that's it. And then I want you to kind of sit with it, because I think it's important that you take away this specter from above you um, of this terrible thing that will happen when we have to debate this again and remind yourselves that... It's an issue. It's not the volcanic, supersized, unsolvable, therapist-felling issue that you've grown it to be at this point. And I just want to add one thing to that exercise, which is that because the first part of what we suggested is about really processing your loss and grief, in the second scenario, when you're writing about your happiest day in the other location, we want you to do it where, for example, Beth, you are not thinking about your mother in New York. So what would Omaha be mm-hmm. like if this part of the piece didn't exist, mm. right? That you don't have a mother living in New York. Mm. So you're just living in Omaha, your family's there, and you don't feel the tug of your mother. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And for Ryan, same thing. You're in New York, but you don't have the family and the cousins in Omaha. Yeah. You're just saying... What is my happiest day here in Long Island? I don't feel the tug of my family back in Omaha. Yeah. What does my life look like there when I'm not thinking about what I'm losing, but I'm just living my life here? Yeah, that makes sense. Good. Well, we look forward to hearing how it goes. Okay, great. All right. Thank you so much. So I really like this couple. I'm thinking about what they're going to do with our advice. What do you think is going to happen, Guy? I think they're going to do it. I hope they can do that without qualifiers, but I do think that it'll give them a little bit of peace. There are a couple that I think really wants to be there for one another. I also felt the love between these people and you could see the way that they were sitting, the way that they were touching each other. They were very affectionate with each other. They were very respectful of one another and they were very careful to be gentle with the other person. And I think that this will give them an opportunity to do the grieving that they need to do and then also take themselves out of that long 
standing position that they've been in. I agree, because one thing that we can always tell as therapists, as soon as people sit down sometimes, is whether there's a really strong foundation. And I'm really curious to hear how it went for them. Yes, me too. This is Dear Therapists, and we'll be back after a short break. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. Well, let's listen to the voicemail. Hello. Hi. Ryan and Beth following up after working through our homework. We just want to say that it was a great exercise getting past those combative emotions and getting to the inner core of sadness, grief, um, was really meaningful. And going through the first exercise helped me come to a deeper place and being more vulnerable and open in our marriage. Yeah, and I think, too, we really thought about the idea that was brought up, which was the brinksmanship we'd been using to work through this, the one-upsmanship, and that's not how anyone should live, and it's not always about one-upsmanship. So moving past anger, hurt feelings, resentment, and instead talking through the reality of grief and sadness was super important, and we were really glad we did it. Yeah, having it framed differently uh, has helped us think about it. 
Yeah. It was nice to write about not just the grief and the tenderness, but the happy moments, the perfect day. It was a good visualization exercise and there really were wonderful moments. We both included things we'd want to do by ourselves and things we do as a family and the couple. And there were things we have done or we could see ourselves doing. So to kind of fast forward five years and think through the potential good was actually really helpful to focus on positive instead of just the negative. So I'm glad we went in that order. And not to throw Ryan under the bus, <laughs> but I know that getting in touch with the tender core and inner emotions has not been the easiest thing for him his whole life. So I think True. this was a great way to open the door on that. This has been a really important moment for us to deepen our own relationship and how we communicate with each other instead of getting angry about this a lot. I was raised in a generation where men didn't show emotions, men didn't express themselves. And so I, I am not good at words <laughs> when it comes to this, but uh, going through it has helped me grow in that sense. And it's opened my eyes to the benefits of talking and open communication. So I'm feeling really good about being married to you. And I love you. <laughs> I feel the same way about you too. So thank you. This is a really important way to to reframe and focus. So thank you, Lori. Thank you, Guy. This was really super valuable. So we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Be well. What's really interesting to me is when a couple really gets not just what we're asking them to do, but why we're asking them to do it, they usually are able to take it to a better place and expand it and generalize it and add things to it um, that make it even more powerful because they got the principles. And that's always great to hear. Yeah, they're a very thoughtful couple. I felt it was important that they were able to look at the positives of the other person's position because they were sort of having the sacrifice Olympics. Your sacrifice is smaller than my sacrifice, right? They focus on what they're not going to get by going to the other person's side. And here they were able to say, I could picture being happy. And that just opens up the conversation. And also, this was such a painful thing for them. So the fact that it was something they could even joke around with each other about now is a real testament to the fact that they've actually worked something through there. Every couple has some kind of issue where somebody feels like, here's my position, here's your position, and there's no way to compromise. And the exercise that they did is applicable to any couple. Any couple can say, let's talk about the loss and the grief and let's share that with each other so we really understand the other person's inner life and inner world here. And then let's also imagine the positive parts of what would happen if I made some movement toward the other person's position. You can use that in any kind of disagreement that you're having in a couple. So I hope that other people will apply it to their relationships. That brings us to the end of our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us both online. I'm at LoriGottlieb.com and you can follow me on Twitter at LoriGottlieb1 or on Instagram at LoriGottlieb underscore author. And I'm at GuyWinch.com. I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at Guy Winch. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, big or small, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. We're produced and edited by Mike Johns. Special thanks to Samuel Benefield and to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. Next week, 
A man cares for his ex-girlfriend's dog, and his current partner is concerned about what that means for their relationship. I said, you know, it's really funny. I have never met this person, and I, I'm sorry to use the word hate, but I hate her already because she is in the middle of our relationship. Dear Therapist is a production of iHeartRadio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.